Yes, God, that's our trust as we seek your word today. We cannot approach your word and remain the same. Genesis chapter 34. I want to warn you to soberly approach God's word today. I got used to, accustomed to reading this chapter, and now that I have children, daughters, I can't see it the same. Genesis chapter 34. Now, Dinah, the daughter of Leah, whom she had born to Jacob, went out to see the women of the land. And when Shechem, the son of Hamor, the Hivite, the prince of the land, saw her, he seized her and lay with her and humiliated her. And his soul was drawn to Dinah, the, Dinah, the daughter of Jacob. He loved her, spoke tenderly to her. So Shechem spoke with his father, saying, Give me that girl for my wife. Now Jacob heard that he had defiled his daughter, Dinah. But his sons were with the livestock of the field. So Jacob held his peace until they came. And Hamor, the son of Shechem, went out to Jacob to speak with him. The sons of Jacob had come in from the field as soon as they had heard of it. And the men were indignant and very angry because he had done an outrageous thing in Israel by lying with Jacob's daughter. For such a thing must not be done. The word of God. Jesus, help us to be indignant as we ought to be, as you want us to be. Help us to hate what you hate. Help us to love like you love. Help us to feel what you feel, God. Help us to well up with all of your emotion and passion in a world full of death and to spring forth with power to bring your life, with your righteous power into this world. We trust that you make us brave. We trust that when we sing songs, that you're actually doing it, that you will breathe on us. We treasure your word as we move forward in life and in this service. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen, amen. Y'all, as our worship team makes their way off the platform, I want you to thank them in your own way. If it's a hoot or a holler or a hand clap. And y'all... Today is a team preach. Okay, I need your help. I want you to turn to the person on your right and preach with an anointed passion. Tell them, hate what he hates. Go ahead. Hate what he hates. Good job. All right, now as you're finding your seat, I want you to preach back to the person who just preached to you. And I need a little bit more passion. Say, love like he loves. You can, you can be seated. Say, love like he loves. Okay, y'all are doing okay. Well, good morning again. My name is Peter. Welcome to the Springs. Our church is a part of a larger family named Every Nation, and we will spring forth unto every nation with more Jesus in the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen? How's, here's how we're going to do that. 
It's by growing and being followers of Christ, family-focused, and fishers for men. These three F's of a relationship are really happening in our midst. And as we approach God's word, he's doing a miraculous thing for us to grow. Are you ready? You all here with me? Come on, church. Are you ready? Come on. More Jesus. Now, we've been going through Genesis all year, and it has been a wild adventure, has it not? We say that Genesis is where your story begins. So as we approach God's word, we see the real, raw context of our lives in God's word. And the resolution through Jesus, through his very real power. Okay? Genesis is where your story begins. We know because of Genesis that God made us, we rebel against God, and he takes us back. It's a word called redeem, meaning to take back. He redeems us by restoring faith in him through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And we saw last week that in Genesis 32, God changes Jacob's name to Israel. Last week, God also changed our name, our church's name, to the Springs. He's springing forth something new. He changes Jacob's name, and now here in chapter 34, Jacob has to live with the very real implications of his name which means God strives for me. Now, Jacob's going to see here in a very, his daughter has just been humiliated and defiled. Can he really say, God, you strive for me here and now in church? When we have a name that God's named us, can we see God spring forth life in our midst, in the very real, in the very raw issues of our day? I think we can. But when we approach God's word, when we get into the rest of this, I'm going to challenge you to bring a heart full of sobriety and passion. Because this is not for the weak of heart. This is some very real stuff we're getting into today. And God can very really do a miraculous and powerful healing work in your heart. If you're ready. Are you ready? Thank you. I need your help. I need you all to keep helping me. You're doing pretty good. And I need you to keep it up. If you leave with nothing else today, Know this, that if we are called by his name, we will hate what he hates and love like he loves. If we're called by his name, we will hate what he hates and we will love like he loves. So let's talk about hate first, okay? Hate and love. We're going to talk about hate. How come no one's with me here? Still with me? We're talking about hate. The great Reverend Taylor Swift has said, haters gonna hate, 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 hate. Okay? But listen, the Bible says that if you truly love the Lord, you will hate what he hates. Psalm 97, 10. Oh, you who love the Lord, hate evil. There is no love without hate. Paul, Romans 12, when he's describing the birthmarks of a true Christian, He says a very peculiar sentence in verse 9. He says, let love be genuine. What's the litmus test for if your love is genuine? Abhor, which is a very strong word for hate. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Here's what that means. You can't have genuine love without a contrary sentiment towards the things that are not keeping with love. Now, y'all, 
I've shared my story with some of y'all before, so it's a perfect time to share it again. So I grew up just a normal kid. I grew up, and one of my biggest things that should have been hated was the way I treated young women. In my teenage years, B.C., before Christ, the way I treated women was every bit typical as it was perverse. And when I came to know Jesus and someone brought me into a relationship with Jesus, I started to read the Bible and it mirrored the way my life really was. You know, when you read the Bible, it's one thing. But when you read it and it starts reading you, it hurts a little bit. It hurts so good. That's what started happening with me. I, don't, I can't explain why. I couldn't stop reading the Bible, though it just hurt a lot. Now, why did the Bible hurt to read? Was it just because the Bible had practical tips for me to improve my life and to live a better, better life? No. Because the Bible showed me things that I was supposed to hate in me if I was really going to walk in God's love and be who I'm supposed to be. Hate. There's no love without hate. And in reading the Bible, I could see God's word applied to that which he wanted to spring forth and give me life to. Now that I have three daughters, that hatred is all the more preeminent. Okay? Because now I also have a son. And do I want my son to be the same type of guy that I was before I knew Jesus? Oh, no! Uh-uh. Uh-uh. I hate because I love. And so I'm going to raise my son up with a righteous hatred. Amen. Can somebody say amen? Amen. And I have three daughters. Beautiful, beautiful daughters. And I'm going to raise my daughters to hate because they're loved. Not hate people. Look, we'll get, we'll get into what hate means, to hate what he hates. He doesn't hate people. But there's things in people that he sure does hate because he is a loving, righteous God. And y'all, parents, you know this very well. This becomes real to you. Scriptures become real all over again when you have kids. We can't love our kids without rightly teaching them to distinguish that which should be hated. And only in reading God's word can it be revealed to us unto life that which we are to hate, if we're called by his name. Springs, are we called by his name? Let's hate. Let's hate. Now listen, though. If I teach my kids to hate what they should hate, it's not just a protection against the things out there in the world. See, because there's little things in their wicked little souls that they need to hate, too. Just like all of us. It's so easy to hate the sins in someone else. And when we read the Bible, it's like, oh yeah, that's just like that person. But what about you? I dare you right now, even as we're praying, that you would ask the Holy Spirit to illuminate his scripture as applied to what you should hate in your life. I dare you. Are you praying that? I hope so. Jacob here in this scripture failed to hate what God hated. And you know what? I think there are some reasons, contextual reasons, why I understand why it might have been 
It might have seemed like the safe and godly move for him. He didn't want to stir the pot. He had just moved into a new land. And for him to really actively deal with the situation of his daughter being raped, more people could be killed. So he's just going to hold his peace. We'll see that that was the wrong decision. He didn't actively hate what God hated. Let's pick this up. His daughter is raped, and the rapist of his daughter wants to marry her, wants to make a deal. We'll skip to verse 13. The sons of Jacob answered Shechem and his father Hamor deceitfully. See, they were mad, and they were indignant, and they had their own plan. They were, they were going to hate what God hated and deal with it in their own way. Listen, listen to what they do. Verse 14, they said, we cannot do this thing. Give our sister to one who is uncircumcised, for that would be a disgrace to us. Only on this condition will we agree with you, that you become as we are, every male among you being circumcised. You, you don't, all you need to know about circumcision is it is a brutal, debilitating operation today. How much more with Flintstones back in the day? Verse 16. Then we will give our daughters to you also, and we will make your make, take your daughters for ourselves, and we will dwell on you, and, and we will become one people. But if you will not listen to us and be circumcised, then we will take our daughter, and we will be gone. You see, while Jacob holds his peace, his sons are hating what God hates, but in their own way, and they're plotting treachery and violence and evil. And in the vacuum of what Jacob should have done, in his passivity, a bad situation starts to get much worse. Let's skip forward to verse 24. All who went out of the gate of the city listened to Hamor and his son Shechem, and every male was circumcised. All who went out of the gate of the city. And on the third day, when they were sore, understatement, two of the sons of Jacob, Simeon and Levi, Dinah's brothers, took their swords and came against the city while it felt secure and killed all the males, they killed Hamor and his son and Shechem with the sword and took Dinah out of Shechem's house and, and went away. And the sons of Jacob came upon the slain and plundered the city because they had defiled their sisters. See, after killing everyone, they're still finding plenty of excuses to justify their sin. These people, these are supposed to be God's people. Their great-great-grandfather the great-grandfather Abraham was told, you will be a blessing to all nations. And here they are killing an entire nation and making excuses for it. Verse 28, they took their flocks and their herds and their donkeys and whatever was in the city and the field, all their wealth and all their little ones and their wives and all that was in their houses, they captured and plundered. And then Jacob said to Simeon and Levi, you have brought trouble on me by making me a stink to the inhabitants of the land, the Canaanites and the Perizzites. My numbers are few, and they gather themselves against me and attack me. I will be destroyed, all of our little ones. And they responded, should, we, should they treat our sister like a prostitute? You see, here you are, something awful becoming multiplied, unimaginably worse. And Jacob is still worrying about his own security, not even aware of the treachery and the awful, tragic thing that's just happened under his watch making excuses based on his own security and his own nervousness, his own fear, which has given way to death. And his sons are still making excuses for their so-called righteous actions. An awful tragedy. It starts with rape, then murder, and then genocide. 
You know, Jacob could have prevented it by actively being brave in God's power to hate what God hates and to deal with it accordingly. Let me say something that's real simple, and I think you know it's simple, but it's not remaining simple. As far as what God hates, God hates rape. God hates rape. Now, that doesn't seem like this this wonderfully new idea to us, but listen, in world history, that's a pretty bold assertion. Not every culture agrees with that. They sure didn't. And in in the world to come, if we get away from God's word that we just presume upon, that presumption isn't going to be a given anymore. Most of us don't understand how we are borrowing on the sentiments of our great-grandfathers in this nation that have been saturated with God's word. And so when I make a statement like, God hates rape, we could take it for granted. Instead of actively dealing with his emotion about rape, we could just be at peace with it. And not actively feel what he feels and love like he loves, which we'll get to in a second. God hates rape. That's not a given. You know, even right now, there is a a growing influence of evolutionary psychology. And one of the proponents who is growing in authority among his scientific colleagues, Peter Singer, asserts that there is a utilitarian purpose to rape for the propagation of the race, of the human race. For humans that can't pass on their seed, there's only one way to handle it. Well, what can we say that scientifically disproves him? Very little. But let me say something even better. God hates rape. And you know it because God's word is alive. It takes a lot to suppress it. Don't suppress it. Don't suppress it. God hates rape. And if we don't share his sentiment, we don't actively deal in holy righteousness. Even today, just like where our story begins in Genesis, story's not over yet. Jesus is still moving. Jesus still hates because Jesus still loves. And today, God hates rape. But God's people are still so often tragically like Jacob and like his sons. Some of us can passively allow for that sentiment to just go by and carry out its awful destructive path. All the while, we're holding our peace. Our fear is masquerading itself as choice or peace. And the enemy's having his way while we're just standing on the sidelines We should be actively indignant with the death and rape in our culture, which is very alive today. There are more slaves in the world today than there's ever been in the history of the world because of this thing called perversion and rape. But we don't know that that's a surprise because we're at peace with it, and that is not pleasing to the Lord. God hates rape, and yet, much like Jacob, if we allow for a vacuum of what he hates, all the while claiming his name. Who is it that we are, Springs? Who are we? If we're called by his name, we hate what he hates. We love like he loves. 
we fail to hate like he hates, then we will give way to genocide and murder in our day. I'm sorry, we will continue to do so. Today in our nation, there are 50 million precious souls crying out to you, church, and saying, would you please hate what he hates and love like he loves? It is both. It is both because the abortion issue is perpetuated in our culture by both problems of failure to hate and failure to love. And when we ping pong on back and forth on them, it only makes a more vulnerable situation even worse. There is no simple plan. Jacob hoped that there was a simple plan that was safe and secure without costing him anything. And listen, church, today there is a cost if we are to represent God and to love him. We must hate what he hates, and the love is costly. Either failure to either hate or love like God will result in the multiplication of more death. And we are not going to do that, church. We will spring forth with life. Today, we can't retreat like Jacob on one hand, as he's done here. We can't just hold our peace while people are being harmed. And in the name of compassion, oh, we, we understand you know, people's choices. No, no, no. Choices have costs, all of ours. All sin leads to death. Jesus doesn't leave me alone to my choices. He doesn't call me to leave anyone else alone either. He calls me to hate what he hates and love like he loves. That's the other thing, though. On the other hand, if we think that we're with God only because we hate what he hates and not love like he loves, and anyone else who hates what he hates, even if they don't love like he loves, even if they're only going for a political cause, we'll go with them. That is not okay, church. We have to be so far above that. I guarantee you, when the sons of Jacob murdered the city, they had thoughts that they were probably protecting conservative values. Now look, I'm all for conservative values, but I'm, I'm for the source of those values too. The love that protects and defends them. In the name of conservatism, People can do harm. But if we're called by the name of Jesus, we will hate what he hates and love like he loves, which is so much more. We conserve and protect and we liberally lay our lives down. But we don't go for the liberals or the conservatives and we're not in between, we're above in Jesus' name. Because the one who came from above demands nothing less Are y'all still with me? Because I'm, I'm needing this like you are, and I'm just the guy on the stage, the platform saying hard things. But Jesus is bringing life through his word. I just need to know you're still with me because he's got some more to speak. Hate what he hates and love like he loves. You see, Jacob's failure to hate what God hated was one of coexistence, and God wants more than coexistence. He wants sacrificial, world-changing love to spring forth from our midst. 
We're not in church for anything less than that. That's what Jesus came for, and that's how he loves. And if we just hate what he hates, we fail as humans. The Bible says, be angry and do not sin. The Bible says in James 1, I'm going to go to some other verses. You can stay in, you can stay in, in, in Genesis, or you can follow me either way. Stay with me. We can't just hate what he hates. The anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God, James 1 says. Think about the racial issues in our day. Is there racial tension, church? And we're going to talk about it here. If, if this can't, look around you. If this isn't the place to talk about it, where is? From Ferguson to Baltimore, and it seems like it doesn't stop. And all the while, you got the church on both sides failing to represent Jesus, either in a failure to hate or in a failure to love. You have some people who sit on the sidelines, indifferent, thinking it's all right, thinking we're helping society by not getting angry about things. Not hating injustice and brutality. All the while sitting on our privilege. And often, of course, it's people that have skin tone like like mine. Church, we will hate what he hates. But listen, we will love like he loves. Because so many people in response or reaction to the other people who are sitting on the sidelines try to do things out of fear and hopelessness and only multiply the violence like the sons of Jacob took rape and traded it in for genocide. Okay, listen though. I can take a break from the hot button issues of our day. Okay, we ready for that? Let's get to your personal issues, okay? Think about your everyday struggle with sin. Do these same tendencies apply? A failure to hate for the sake of love or vice versa? I talk to people who often say things, they're church people, say things like, man, yeah, I I love God. Okay, tell me about it. Well, I don't drink and I don't smoke and I don't look at porn. I don't insert your favorite sin here. Now, all of us can find things in Scripture and still say, okay, you're still not hating this or that, but we, we love to you know, kind of find our favorite things to be proud of ourselves for. Let me just go with that for a second, though. Congratulations. Let me give you a sticker. You're hating what he hates, but do you love like he loves? The church is too known for what we're against. What if we loved like he loves? And we were known for the sacrifice and the cost, not folding on the issues of what we ought to hate, but not stopping there, church, being dangerous with our love, laying ourselves down and springing forth with resurrection power and miracles and signs and wonders. More Jesus. Hate what he hates and love like he loves. How do you do that? You know, I had a conversation uh, with a guy a few weeks ago, a friend of mine, a non-Christian friend, and he, he was really close to considering Jesus, but he kind of went to this one argument that I hear people go to often, and he says, you know, well, I understand, like, militant Islam is killing a bunch of people, but look, the Crusades. And I wanted to enter into an argument with him about history and about how our history is not as bad as their history and this and that, but I stopped and I said, you know what? Yeah, we suck. The Crusades are awful, People did it in the name of Jesus. I I don't think maybe they're really Christians, but let's just say they were. 
Christians have done evil things. Let's talk about slavery. I think some really, like, actual Christians participated in some of the worst history on the planet. That's really hard to talk about. But I asked him a simple question. If you, if you, if you put the, the real issues of, of what Christians have done and maybe others, let, let's ta- I don't want to pick on Islam too much, but let's just put it on the table. What is most consistent with the founding of how we were started? And I don't say that to be combative and compare things. Jesus doesn't need any man's defense And he doesn't need to be made to look glorious in light or contrast of other people's sin. That's not what I'm going at. He stands alone as far and above, beyond all comparison. But we're asking the question, what does it mean to love like he loves? And are all the stains on us something that's like him or something that's like only he can heal and forgive and cleanse Of course, it's the last thing that I just said. I ask it like it's a question. What does it mean to love like Jesus loves? I'm going to skip to to Acts 1. Know that there's a fundamental difference between propagating your faith and spreading your religion based on the willingness to die versus the willingness to kill. The sons of Jacob were, made a tragic decision. They didn't love like Jesus loves. But what did Jesus do? The willingness to die and the willingness to kill are two different things. Jesus died a brutal death because your sin is that brutal and so is mine. That's how brutal it was. We make excuses and try to dumb it down like, oh, it's just, you know, I need a slap on the wrist and, you know, I need to work on my stuff. No, no, you crucified a living Savior. That's how bad your sin is. That's how much he loves you. He died. He rose again from the dead to prove his, his authority that no one else has to give you life and to spring forth life from you. And he said, go and spread my stuff. How? Dominate the world. How? Well, much like him. Acts 1, verse 8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witness in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the whole earth. How do we love like Jesus, Jesus loved? Be a witness. What does that word mean? In the Greek, when Jesus originally spoke that, he said, be my martyros which is where we get our English word martyr. So Jesus is saying, hate what I hate, so much so that you're ready to spring forth and go into all the world and love like I love. How? Die like I died. Aren't you glad you came to church today? An encouraging message. All right, guys, here's what the springs does. Here's here's how we bear the name of Jesus. We die, yes. What a good gospel. Jesus died for us. And we have the invitation, if we hate what he hates, to go and die. Makes me excited. (laughs) How do we love like Jesus loves? We die. I can't not share this last verse about love and death. It's so great. 
Romans 5, verse 6. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Did he die for you because you are, man, this one over here, he's really extra special. He's, he's hating what I hate. He's loving what like I love. Man, I'm, I'm going to die for him. No, because you're not any of those things. Jesus said at the right time, I will die for you because you're ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would even dare to die. But God shows his love for, love for us in this, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. There is no one like Jesus. There is no one like Jesus. If anyone ever accuses you of being arrogant, like, I'm better than the Muslims, I'm better than them, I'm better, you're, there's something fundamentally wrong with your grasp of the gospel. You should hate what he hates. Is it because you're better than other people? No. Because he died for me. And I will die to that which he hates inside of me. I hate what he hates, and therefore I die. I love like he loves. That's the scandal of the gospel. We stink, he saves us, and we tell a whole bunch of people about it and then die. That's the rest of your life. Does that not sound exciting? We got a, a lot of stuff to do, y'all. Churches to plant. We're going to start up there. We're going to go down there. We're going to do this. Who's with me? Let's go die. Woo! And you know the crazy thing is? Is I'm not joking. Some of you are like, oh, please let him be joking. I'm not. I'm not. What would be worse if we just lived an easy American dream and nothing else. Because everyone's going to die. But William Wallace says, not all men truly live. Only if you die with Jesus. Now what's your next step? Because I don't want to get excited about things. Not, we're literally not going to die now, hopefully, in Jesus' name. <laughs> but what's your next step? to be his witness, being willing to be his martyrs, to go forth with his life at the cost of death of our lives. What's your next step? You thought you were just coming to church today. Jesus, Jesus has so much better for you. I think you need to hate some things specifically. Even ask the Holy Spirit to show you some things that you're supposed to hate and die to. And then receive the love of Jesus that's incomparable. The love of Jesus is love. Everything else is just an adulteration. Hate, love. How do you actively play that out? We've been telling you for weeks, you know, go to growth groups and this and that. I don't want that to be a dead announcement. Today, though, is a day for some of y'all, it goes from being a thing that I say to a thing that you decide. In Jesus' name, I am now participating in the hate and love of the life and death of Jesus. I am going to participate in a growth group. That's where you can read God's word together, process the, what he thinks about hate and love. We can read into each other's lives. We can read the Bible and the Bible can start reading us together. 
We've said this year that we want to go through Genesis to the degree that our church has a new, overwhelming passion to just voraciously go through God's word with a greater hunger than you've ever hungered for anything else. Would you just decide now to do it in growth groups? No matter what excuse you have, whatever, whatever it takes to change your schedule. And you know what? Tonight at Empower, some of us haven't been able to schedule our growth group, and the Holy Spirit's going to say, you're just going to start one. And I'm going to give you the tools and the power to go. Tonight at 6 p.m. But right now is a time where you can just decide, I'm going. I'm going to be in relationship and get into God's word. I've heard someone say, stop texting and get into the text. Stop Facebooking. Get your face in the book. We're going to do it right now. We're just going to decide. If I hate what he hates and I'm going to love like he loves, I'm deciding to give myself to his word and to bring life to others at the cost of my own life. Would you stand with me, please? I'm going to ask the growth group leaders to come forward. I wanted to, uh, to close this with a prayer. You can come up for your growth group leader. And I, my prayer, I've, been, I've had a lot of scripture I've been excited about. If you're, if you're called by his name, you'll hate what he hates and you'll love like he loves. We, it's a team sport. That's what's great. You don't just have to walk out of here and be like, all right, I'm going to do better now. No, you won't. We will. Repentance is a team sport. Translate that non-jock however you would translate that. But we do it together. This church service, we're ending as a family. We're praying together. We're dismissing together. We're going out of here together. But listen, maybe you personally, you're convicted by God's word. You are failing to hate certain things. And the Holy Spirit has already told you, this thing you have to really actually do business with me and hate. Just draw the line. It's time. And maybe, maybe the Holy Spirit's also saying, you need to play offense. You need to love like I love. You just stop just camping out around your own problems and start going to meet others' needs in a group of other people. And that's your decision today. My thing right now is, is I want to bring that before God and pray. Second Chronicles 7 says, If my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven Forgive their sin and heal their land. Does our, hand, does our land need any healing? What about you? Would you just join with me and pray? If you've never received Jesus' love to the degree that you die, and he makes you new again, I want to give you an opportunity right now to just pray a simple prayer. God, make me new. And you know who you are, not because I'm saying your name, but because the Holy Spirit's tugging on you right now and saying, that's you. You need to pray to be made new right now. If that's you, just right now raise your hand, right now. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Okay, if you're raising your hand or if you're, if you're not raising your hand, would you just pray with me? It's time to do business with God. What are things you need to humble? Just humble yourself before God. In your own words, in your own prayer, just humble yourself.
Now pray and seek his face. What kind of person is he that you're humbling yourself, that you're going before? Think about it. What do you know about him? He's righteous. He's holy. He's full of love. Would you approach his face? Now there's some things you have to leave behind. What are some things that you just have to cut out? It says turn from your wicked ways. As you approach God, what are some things that you have to just leave behind, you have to cut ties with, you have to delete from your cell phone? What, what is it? This is the promise of the Lord. He'll hear from heaven, forgive their sin, and heal their land. Jesus says, behold, I make all things new. Repeat after me if you can say it with conviction. Lord, forgive me. Lord, make me new. Make me your witness. Amen. Y'all, before we dismiss, I want to have a family acclamation where we assert a controversial truth in song. Ready to do that? The ideas in this simple song we're about to sing are really under attack in our culture. And yet you need this more than anything. More than you need to know anything else, you need to know that you were loved by Jesus. Why? Because I say so? No. Because the word of God that's been preserved for you declares it authoritatively. So we're going to sing, Jesus loves me. This I know. Let's sing it together. Don't make me be the only one singing. <laughs> and you know what? He does. Even as it's, we're, we're having a good time as a family, there's some of you in here, you can sing, you know, God is a loving God. But no, listen, God loves you. And even before church, you, there's some people in here that you were struggling to just walk through the door because there's some very real issues you've been dealing with in your family this weekend where you've been, you've been questioning the love of God. And listen, God is revealed as a father and he loves you. His word declares it. My challenge to you is as you sing these things, go forth from here and start reading his word. Read his word, just eat it up. And see for yourself, okay? Let's sing. Jesus loves me, this I know. How? For the Bible tells me so. Little ones, that's us, belong. They are weak, but he is strong. Yes, yes, Jesus loves me. Put your hand on your heart. Yes, Jesus loves me. Sing yes. Yes, Jesus loves me. How do you know that? The Bible tells me so. Amen. Give yourself a hand. <laughs>